Good morning. Welcome to today's episode of What's a Crime with Gronya and Gemma. Hello. <laughs> Sweet, we need to say hello there. Thought you were going to be rude. So, <laughs> so, for today's episode, we are going to be talking about um, a case that happened in Australia in 1999. So, this case is about Rachel Barber. So, it was 7.15pm on Monday the 1st of March 1999 and Elizabeth Barber looked at the clock anxiously. Her husband Mike and her daughter Rachel should have been home by about 6.45pm. So the Barber family were a middle class family that lived in the suburbs of Melbourne, Australia. They were a very happy family, so Elizabeth and Mike had a happy marriage and three beautiful daughters. Nine-year-old Heather, 11-year-old Ashley Rose and 15-year-old Rachel. So that evening, Mike had left to pick Rachel up from the tram after her dance class. So Rachel was like this really amazing, talented dancer. She didn't really care about school or academics because in dance, she excelled. She always received like distinctions for her dance exams and ballet was her favorite. She was also, you know, very popular at school. She had a boyfriend called Emmanuel or Manny for short. She was extremely pretty. So, you know, you can see photos of her online. And um, okay, I'm just going to look up a picture of her. <laughs> I always say how pretty they are, but they, they all really are. She's really, really pretty. And she actually oh, did yeah, some modeling work as well. She looks, what age did you say? She was 15. Yeah, she looks a lot older, she doesn't does she? Actually, yeah. yeah. She actually shot for Women's Fitness Australia. So, like, that's big. Okay. So the phone rang at last at 7.40pm and Elizabeth was relieved that they were finally making contact. Um, She was worried about where they had gotten to, but immediately she knows that something is wrong. So it is Mike on the phone and he said that Rachel didn't get off the tram. So he had arrived at 10 past 6 and waited for a full hour and she just never showed. So Elizabeth was, you know, straight away she was concerned. It was not like Rachel to just not show up. She absolutely hated the dark. And by this time it was now getting quite dark. So straight away calls the police. You know, they're not overly concerned. She really wasn't gone that long. And she was 15. Yeah. So I'm sure they probably get calls like that all the time. Yeah, and, and they kind teenagers. of are just, yeah, they're just a little bit like, you know, she'll show up. They don't want really to do anything. But it so. also shows how it is so much out of her character. For yeah. Because her, her mom actually called straight away. Yeah, and I think a big part of it was she really, really hated the dark, like a lot. Like okay. um, when, I was researching, when I was researching this, sorry, like they spoke about that quite a lot. So she calls the dance school and they said that she definitely left around 5.45 and they hadn't seen her since then. So Elizabeth calls Manny, who's Rachel's boyfriend, or Emmanuel, um, and she asked him if he had seen or heard from her. He immediately feared the worst. She meant it, he said. I didn't think she'd go. Okay, go where? I know. So Elizabeth's like, what do you mean, go where? Like, she's panicking. She's like, tell me what you mean. So he tells her that during the day, They had gone into a shoe shop and Rachel had pointed out a pair of chunky blue shoes that she was going to buy the next day. So he sort of questions her on where she's going to get the money because Rachel's family were not very well off. I think a lot of the money that they had did go to Rachel's dance lessons and dance school. Okay. So, you know, she didn't just sort of 
have that money to buy a pair of shoes, you know, whenever she needs. Yeah. She told him that she was going to do a modeling shoot and that she was going to make a lot of money, but she wasn't allowed to tell anyone. Oh God, that doesn't sound good. <sighs> the tell anyone part. Yeah. yeah. I know. So straight away, Elizabeth is like, what shoot? Where was it? Who did she go with? You know, why isn't she home? And the day before this all happened, on Sunday the 28th of February, when Rachel had been chatting on the phone to Manny, she was laughing and gossiping. And what Rachel didn't know was that the telephone records would later show that Rachel hadn't been speaking to Manny at all. But she had received two calls from an unknown number. So, yeah. It's sounding like there's there's something planning here and and we don't know what was going on. So on March the 2nd, 99, when she still didn't arrive home, that's that's the the day day after after. she went missing, yeah. And the police are still not really taking this disappearance seriously. So Elizabeth and Mike decide to take matters into their own hands. They scour the streets with Rachel's photograph and they go into all the shops around the dance school with the hopes that someone might have seen her. They put out posters with her face on it. But in one of the shops, a middle-aged woman, the shop manager tells them in detail about a report that came out in Monday's Age, which I assume is some sort of newspaper, about a man that had been released from jail. He had been in prison for coercing underage girls into an illegal brothel he owned in Fitzroy. So I Google mapped how far that was from Melbourne. Now, I could be wrong, but it's, I think it's a very short, like 10 minute drive or something. Right, so that you'd definitely be freaking you'd be, out. You'd be really freaking that. out. And the fact that she said she was going to make a lot of money. And she wasn't allowed to tell anybody. It just sounds so dodgy. It sounds really dodgy. So they, you know, armed with this report, they go to the police station to express their concerns. The police dismiss this as unlikely. And the family just feel like they're they're not really cooperating with them at all. They're still not taking this. So frustrating. Very frustrating. You can't even imagine how you'd feel. Exactly. I mean, fair enough, maybe after the first like couple of hours, but yeah, this, this is, is the, next, the day. next day. So hearing more stories about young girls approached to make money uh, by working in a brothel, you know, they're starting to have nightmares about her, you know, being forced into sex work and, and all these sort of nightmares that you think of. And they're really starting to panic. To panic. None of her friends had received any contact from her either. No one had seen or heard from her. So finally, the Barbers start to feel like the police are taking this seriously. On another visit to the police station, they are happy to hear that the police were going to question her friends and her teachers at the dance school. They themselves continued to scour the streets. They drove into the city of Melbourne late at night and handed her photographs into brothels in the hope that someone might recognise her but also with the hope that no one will recognise her. You know, that that sort of... Yeah, yeah. So the police search Rachel's room and they find a handwritten note in her room that said the words, running away. So at this point, they look at this note and they wholeheartedly believe that she had decided to run away of her own accord. Her parents, they don't understand the note, they know that she would not just run away. She was an extremely happy teenager. She had a, you know, a, a loving family, a boyfriend who she was crazy about. She loved dance. And 
they just couldn't believe that she would do this. So they sort of racked their brains over and over trying to see what she was talking about. And her mum remembers that she wanted a pair of trainers called Runaways. And knowing that she loves shoes, so obviously she must have, you know, even when she was talking about buying the other blue shoes as well. Um, So they tell the police that they think this is the reason she wrote that note. But the detectives don't agree and they sort of continue to believe that she had run away of her own free will. Mike, Elizabeth's husband, he convinces Elizabeth that she really needs to report a male friend of hers. So he was a A male friend of of Elizabeth. Okay. Yes. So she was she had a close male friend and you know she she denies ever having an affair with him or anything like that there but she does say that there came a point in their friendship where she felt very uncomfortable around him. She said he would show up at her workplace and sit in his car waiting for her to leave work. He would just sort of show up and she said that two weeks before Rachel disappeared he showed up at their house unannounced and the girls were there. Um, Elizabeth said that she was uncomfortable with this and she asked him to leave. Now, he hadn't contacted her or anything since then. And, and he left? Yeah, since he left. So he, he just left, no problem, and he hadn't contacted her since. And Elizabeth sort of didn't feel like he had anything to do with the disappearance. Like, she sort of doesn't really feel the need to report him. But she does it for the sake of her family yeah. and, and you can Mike. see why if I was the husband I would be like yeah yes. definitely and, and and him. Mike is sort of saying like you know he might show up with her and be like the knight in shining armour that saved Rachel right, yeah. or like you know maybe he's angry that she sent him away and he's trying to punish her you just don't know yeah so they're kind of trying every angle. They also decide to go back to the neighbourhood where they used to live. So they lived in a neighbourhood ca- called Mont Albert. They'd lived there five years ago. So they tape up posters and put posters in through the letterboxes of their old friends, you know, just in the hope that maybe someone will recognize, even just to get the word out there more. So on Monday, the 8th of March, Elizabeth and Mike learned of a sighting of Rachel. An old friend of hers had spotted her on the evening she went missing. So she said that she had seen Rachel get onto the number six Glen Irish tram at about 6.40pm and she was in the company of another girl. When this girl was questioned, the, um, the girl that seen Rachel, she said she definitely knew it was Rachel and she couldn't mistake her for someone else because of how beautiful she looked. What a nice thing to say. I feel like someone would describe me as that. <laughs> so she said the girls were chatty and obviously knew each other. She said the other girl was heavy set and not attractive. I would say people people will maybe say that more about you. <laughs> that not can I that is so what a way to describe That's very someone. mean to describe. So she was heavy set and not attractive and she didn't recognise her as another dance student. So and she had reported this sighting to the police. So that sort of led them to wonder like who was this girl? Was she missing as well? And if not you know, why didn't she come forward? And it also kind of looks like, okay, maybe she did run away. Yes. You know, if she was chatting to the girl and it looked like they knew each other. Yes, exactly. Like, you know, all of those kind of, you know, you just kind of wonder then, did they have some sort of plan or, you know, were they in something together? You just don't know. On 
Tuesday, the 9th of March, the police contacted the family and told them that they wanted to do a press release. So the following day, the 10th of March, her face is all over front page news. On the 11th of March, which is the following day, um, the missing persons unit began a new series of inquiries. So I, I, um, I read a book that Elizabeth, Rachel's mother, wrote, and she describes the relief when the missing persons unit get involved with this case because imagine. she yeah. felt like helpless before yes and they were really taking it seriously and doing everything they could so they begin a new line of inquiries they decide that they are going to trace all the calls that came into the barber's home um before rachel disappeared so Meanwhile, the girl that had spotted Rachel on the tram on the day of her disappearance was helping detectives to assemble a computerized image of the young woman that she had seen accompanying Rachel on the tram. The unattractive girl. That is terrible. (laughs) It's so mean. So mean. (laughs) But it's just obviously the way she's seen her. Yeah. Later in the day, detectives received a list of the incoming calls to the barber's house that day. And a silent number or a private number appeared on that list. They were able to link this number to a Caroline Reed Robertson. It emerged that Caroline Reed Robertson was a 20-year-old single woman living alone in a rental flat in an inner city suburb near where Rachel had been last sighted. She was not known to the police and had no past record. So naturally enough, the detectives want to speak to this girl. So they call to her home, but she's not there. They decide to check her workplace. She had been employed in an administrative role in a telecommunications company for about a year. So when they show up to her workplace, she's not there either. And her colleagues inform detectives that she had been taking an unusual amount of sick days over the last 10 days. They do say that she had mentioned knowing the missing girl. She said that she had babysat Rachel before, but she wasn't worried as Rachel was always running away. Right, well, straight away. The parents said she never ran away before, so that's a lie. Exactly. So, you know. And was she? Did she And did she know her? So, police contact the Barbers and ask them if they know of a Caroline Reed Robertson. They do. They know her as Caroline Reed. She was their neighbour when they lived in Mont Albert five years ago. So remember I said that they went to that neighbourhood and passed yeah. out posters? The Reed family lived across the street from the Barber family and they also had three daughters. So one of the Barber girls, Ashley Rose, was a good friend of Caroline's younger sister, Kate. Caroline was five years older than Rachel and she did babysit the Barber girls, well, only twice. Her mother... Gail had been friendly with Elizabeth, Rachel's mother. And, you know, although she had babysat the girls and they did know her, they, they didn't really see her anymore and her and Rachel weren't really friends or anything. Yeah. They described her as seemingly unhappy. You know, the, the, the Barbers now sort of believed that maybe the girls had gotten into some sort of trouble or, you know, did have to run away for something, but all of the sort of nightmares that they had been thinking of, like rape, sex trafficking, abduction, murder, that sort of just seemed to dissipate. And it's a bit the of relief. relief. Yes, yeah. like she's, she's with, with someone, someone she knows. knows. Exactly. So the police try the home of Caroline Reed again. This time there was 
No answer again. They call the fire department and on entering the building, they find Caroline lying at the foot of her bed unconscious. She's taken to the hospital and detectives search the flat. On searching the flat, they find detailed lists and notes made by Caroline Reed. So there was like notes about Rachel, notes about her family, background information about her parents and siblings. She wrote about Rachel in glowing terms, describing her as strikingly attractive with a dancer's body, clear pale skin and hypnotic green eyes. They sort of summarise that the person who wrote these notes really romanticised Rachel and had this sort of weird fascination with her. Yeah, sounds that way. Uh, and yeah, and according to the notes, he said things like, she was a wild free spirit who lived life on the edge, a simple yet complicated girl of enormous talent. And then like really ominously written at the bottom of one of the notes, all things come to pass. Okay, that sounds... I know that sounds sort of like why is that there so at the hospital Caroline was conscious and well so she did actually have a history of epilepsy and the police felt like the visit from them might have triggered an epileptic fit so after numerous scans the medical staff deemed her fit to answer questions one of the detectives Mr Neil Peterson asked Caroline if she knew where Rachel was she did she answered she's dead the shocked officer replied are you positive she's dead or can we still help her to which caroline responded no she's dead i feel like that line like are you positive she's dead like they're just desperate for Mm. her to be okay and what happened to her so caroline said she is dead and she's buried so for five years caroline had harbored this obsession this dangerous obsession with Rachel before when the family had lived in Mount Albert when they were neighbors with the Reed family the Reed family were not a happy family and Caroline was not a happy girl so she considered herself as overweight with a quote pizza face and quote brown oily hair and no coordination that's how she described herself in her writings that's actually very sad I know I know she was the eldest of three girls whose parents, Gail and David Reed, divorced when Caroline was 16. Her writings tell of an angst-ridden relationship with her mother, who had suffered depression. And her mother had actually cried on Elizabeth's shoulder, on Rachel's mother's shoulder, about how worried she was about Caroline, because she wouldn't come out of her room or make any friends. She kept journals and diary entries describing how she's seen herself, but also how she's seen Rachel. So even back then, when Rachel's family still lived in Mont Albert, she had only been 12 years old at the time and Caroline's 17. Caroline wrote of Rachel, strikingly attractive, very pale, clear skin, passionate, charming, moody, mysterious. Another letter I feel like a troubled, tortured, lost soul that's been thrown into an alien environment full of angels. She signed it Spotty Dotty, which was the nickname that she gave herself because of her, like, acne. That is so sad. And it's funny, you know, it's normally, like, the 12-year-old that looks up to the older. Yeah, she's older looking up to a 12-year-old. Exactly. It doesn't work that way. And she's so full of self-hatred. 
So the contrasts between the two girls helped to fuel her rage. You know, Rachel was slim, she was attractive. Caroline saw herself as overweight and ugly. Rachel had an adoring family and friends, whereas Caroline's family life was unhappy and, you know, she was like a loner. Rachel was a dancer and at 15, she left school to pursue her dream and become a full-time dancer. Whereas Caroline's parents broke up and she left school for a year, retreated to her bedroom and wrote endless words of painful self-abuse. Like, I can imagine it would be hard. She's so doubtful of herself yeah. and she like she's next door to this girl that everyone seems to describe as yeah. this beautiful talented girl and she seems to have it all yeah and everyone seems to say that when they're when they're describing it oh she was beautiful mm-hmm. and she's this and it would be so hard if you felt that like low that. about yourself yeah. you'd be hard not to compare yourself because you're, you're constantly hearing everyone saying how great this other girl is mm-hmm. yeah but your your sympathy for her is gonna fade very soon. Like I said, she was a prolific note maker. Caroline wrote down her plan to lure Rachel with an offer of money to take part in a bogus modeling shoot. So that was the modeling shoot that Rachel told yeah. her boyfriend about. Then she was going to drug her, disfigure her, and dump her body. She warned Rachel not to tell anyone. It was just their little secret. So that and, was why she couldn't tell And me. obviously Rachel's not going to be frightened about this. You know, it's a yeah. girl. She knows she her. She knows her. Mm-hmm. So obviously she had absolutely no idea of what Caroline had really planned. When they met, they chatted like old times. They ordered pizza, which Caroline had actually laced with drugs. And then when Rachel got drowsy, she picked up a telephone cord and strangled her. For two days, she kept Rachel's body in a cupboard in her flat before she hired a van and buried her on her father's property near Kilmore. How did she did this all by herself? How did she get a body out of her flat, into a van, out of the van and then bury her? I feel like she obviously planned it meticulously. Yeah, so she knew what times, but even so. Sure enough, when the police arrived at the property... There, in a shallow grave, was Rachel's body with the black telephone cord still wrapped around her neck. What? Her autopsy would show that she had consumed an antihistamine, which impaired her alertness before she was murdered. So, after burying Rachel, Caroline had planned to assume her identity and like start this new life as Rachel. So she applied for this big loan and they also found in her apartment an application for a birth certificate in the name Rachel Elizabeth Barber. How did she think this was going to happen or she was going to get away with this? Or it was going to work? Yeah. She was arrested and in October 2000 she pleaded guilty to the murder of Rachel. During the court appearance, Caroline described herself as an unhappy and friendless nobody and wanted to be somebody else. Somebody better. And she believed Rachel was better. Yeah. During the court hearing, forensic psychiatrist Justine Barry Walsh said that Caroline was profoundly disturbed but not legally insane. She said it is possible that she thought she could somehow reinvent herself in the image of the victim. The prosecutor said that the motive was Caroline's obsession with Rachel, her jealousy of her attractiveness popularity and success 
and perhaps a desire on her part to emulate the success of a younger person with whom she had become infatuated. She was sentenced to 20 years in prison with a minimum term of 14 and a half years. I don't think that's long enough. It's not very long. Like, she's very young, so if she serves her time, she's, she's going to still be quite young when she gets out, you know? Like, she's only 20 at the time, so she's still going to be in her early 30s. She actually did become eligible for parole in August 2013, but her release was delayed following a public outcry from Rachel's parents. She was released from prison on January 20th, 2015. So she's free now? Yes. So Elizabeth, Rachel's mother, said that the um, Caroline should be thankful that she lives in a nation where she could resume her life outside of prison. Her husband, Mike, is firm. He does not want her to be harassed. Oh, my God. They're so... M- moral. Yeah, like, I I couldn't say no, that. I, I couldn't. You'd be out harassing her. I know I would. <laughs> <laughs> so when they actually seen pictures of Caroline on her release, they were shocked. They hadn't seen her or seen any photos of her since, you know, she was jailed in November 2000. So... On her release, she had long, straight blonde hair, a clear complexion and sported a leaner frame. And Elizabeth Barber actually said that there is a likeness there to Rachel in the eyes. Oh, my God. Isn't that funny? Mm. So That's not funny. No, but, but I mean, like, it's, it's, it's strange mm. that she would even notice that or think that. Um, and... Prison inmates say that she never, ever spoke about her crime. She never, ever expressed remorse for her crime. And I think that that will be even harder yeah. to take that high road yeah. because she never apologised or never, you know, felt guilty. Well, not that we know of anyway. But she didn't show that she felt yeah. guilty. So the last thing that I could learn about her is that she's now in a long-term relationship with a female armed robber that she met in prison and you know it's unusual because as a young middle-class killer of a girl that that in itself is very unusual female murderers are quite rare and most of them do murder violent spouses children relatives and friends in that order according to um a study by the Australian Institute of Criminology. So the average female killer is 29, usually unemployed, married and from a lower socioeconomic background. So none of those describe Caroline Reed Robertson. I don't want to end this story talking about Caroline because obviously the real victim here is Rachel and you know her family who will never ever get to see her yeah. again. So we really hope you enjoyed this episode of What's a Crime with Gemma and Grania. If you did enjoy it, please do like and subscribe. And we will see you next week for a new episode. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) 